thank you all for coming tonight, and we uh, are so happy to be here, and hopefully uh, tonight we'll be able to say something that's edifying to the church, and um, we'll be able to gain some knowledge from what we're studying in Philippians. Of course, we're studying Philippians 2. Uh, we'll particularly be studying verses 9 through 15, and, and before we uh, start, we'll go ahead and read and kind of bring us up to speed since it's been a couple weeks since we've study. So we'll read starting at verse 1, and we'll read all the way through verse 15. And remember, while we're reading this, that of course, Paul is writing to the church and to the congregation in Philippi. And he's specifically giving direction to those members um, about unity, about how to be Christ-like, and, and how to get along, and how to be humble. And all these things. So let's kind of keep that in mind as we, as we start reading. It says there in verse 1, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort in love, if, in, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy, be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may, be, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God, without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world." So on the first, uh, to bring us up to speed to verse, starting in verse 9, you know, we want to, we talked about last time how, how Jesus humbled himself and became a servant. When he was part of the Godhead and he, he became a little lower than the angels and came here to this earth and, and, and humbled himself and suffered for us. And in these upcoming verses, we're going to see because of his humility how God exalts him to the highest position there could ever be. Um, so, beginning in, in verse 9, the word therefore there is derived from a Greek word, a couple of Greek words, dio and kaya, which literally means to, and that is why. So because he humbled himself, we could replace the word therefore, and that is why uh, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every other name. So, to be highly exalted is to elevate 
to elevate above all others and to be lifted up. It's the same verb that was used in John 3, verse 14. And it says there, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so much the Son of Man will be lifted up. This was a picture of, of the, the serpent was a symbolic to what would happen to Jesus uh, being lifted up. And there's sermons that have been taught here on that, and, and I don't have time to go into that, but um, it's a very uh, a clear type, an anti-type of Christ uh, being lifted up. So this is being done. God is lifting up Jesus, which, which shows actually a, a, a validation or a vindication and approval of God of what Jesus did here. So God lifted him up because Jesus did what he did. And he was lifted to the highest position possible. So that brings us to our first question. What is meant by the phrase, and given him the name above every name? So not only was he highly exalted, he was given a name above every other name. You know, in, in the Bible, names, uh, we can see names time after time being changed from an original name to a different name. And that was a purpose. There was a meaning behind the names, uh, in the, especially in the Old Testament. Um, for example, Abram was changed to Abraham, which means uh, a high father, which is his original name, to father of all, which is Abraham. And same with Sarah. Her name was Sarai. It was changed to Sarah, which originally was my princess, changed to Sarah, which is mother of all nations. So it, the name is a, a description of who and what they are, their character. So Jesus' name was not changed because Jesus was who he was and always is who he's always been and will always, always be who he always is. So his name doesn't have to be changed. But, but the name above every name. In Isaiah 42 and verse 8, which is a prophecy of Jesus, it says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another. Also in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in the last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed to heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who, being the brightness of all his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, and when he had himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So we hear all the time in this, you know, all kinds of names that we hear all the time. And sometimes we wonder what in the world some parents were thinking when they named their kids. So... I can guarantee you that, that when we hear or anybody hears Jesus' name, they know who he is. All around the world. Somebody could say, oh yeah, Chris in, in Bakersfield, California. Nobody may know that. You know, People may not know that across the country or whatever. But when they hear the name Jesus, everybody knows who Jesus is. A name above all names. So that leads us to the next question, Is uh, deals with verses 10 through 11. Verses 10 and 11 say that the name of Jesus, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and those in heaven and those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord 
to the glory of God the Father. So that, this is the reason why God exalted Jesus. These verses here. He raised him up so that every knee should bow. Now this does not mean that every time that the name Jesus is uttered out of our mouths that we are going to bow. This is dealing with the second coming of Christ. This is dealing with when he comes, there's going to be so much power and so much glory. And everybody's going to know who he is that every knee will be compelled to bow before him. And, and, and by every, everybody, it's talk, going to talk about those in heaven, those in earth, and those under the earth. So those in heaven refers to as the angels. The angels of heaven are going to bow to Jesus as well. In 1 Peter 3 and verse 22, it says... Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him, which is Jesus. Also in Hebrews 1 verse 6, it says, But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. So that's what, the hev- what those in heaven is talking about, is the angels. Now those in the earth is us, that's you and I. Um, everybody, from the beginning of time to the end of time. And when you think about that, everybody will bow. I mean, think about all the people who opposed Jesus. Think about the high priest. Think about the Sanhedrin. Think about uh, uh, Muhammad. I mean, those leaders of of different religions are going to bow to Jesus at the second coming. That's pretty amazing when you think about that. Every knee shall bow. Now, those under the earth is referred to as, of course, the dead. Those who are in the, in, in the Hadean realm at this time. Um, I don't know all there is to know about this. I'm going to uh, admit that. But, but we need to notice that Jesus' power transcends all time, all dimensions. Uh, if, that, if that's what you want to call it, all space and all places. There's not one part of creation that is not going to recognize Jesus at the second coming. All of us all will recognize Jesus for who he is, that he is Lord of all. So, you know, think about all of us who look forward to that time, who look forward to confessing his name and look forward to bowing to him when, on the second coming. But, but even those who oppose him now, who don't look forward to him, are going to be bowing as well. So when we recognize Jesus for who he is and what he has done, of course, it's always to God the be the glory. So Paul explained. So Paul has just explained to us uh, before how the humility uh, and how he is exalted work. And Jesus could be only exalted if he was humbled first. If he was humble first, and same with us too. You know, we have to be humble. We have to be humble people. We have to be humble Christians, and God will recognize us for that in the end time, at judgment. So it's a great lesson for us. That brings us to verse twelve, which says there. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So the question here is, how does one work out his own salvation with fear and trembling? So if we read further in verse 15, Paul refers to uh, uh, the, the members there at Philippi as children of God. You know, us as parents are extremely happy when our kids follow our direction when we're around. We tell them to take out the trash, they take out the trash. Tell them to dust the house, they dust the house. Tell them to, to act right when they're at school, then they act right at school. But when, it's, when we're away and they do what we want them to do, it makes us so proud of our kids and what they do. 
you know, we can trust them being away. We know they're going to make the right decision. And we get, we get word back from those who are around them that they have, you know, done what we expect them to do. And that's kind of what Paul is saying here. You know, it's good that you're doing what you're doing while I'm here, but do it even more when I'm not here. When, when I'm not here to visit you or, you know, follow the will of God. So that leads us to a question in hand. How, does, how, does one, how do we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling? Now, we cannot work out our own salvation on our own. That is not our. There's nothing we could do to earn our salvation. Nothing at all. We do not work to earn it, yet we work because we have been saved. So the, the verb here, or the, this, this word work out is a, is a verb, and it is, it is defined as a continuous action. We're referred to as going through a race or a competition. So it's continuous. So once we get saved, once we get baptized and follow the will of God, it's time to go to work. We're working through our salvation. In 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 25, it says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. And, 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 and fear and trembling here is, is basically a reverence for God. We have a respect for God. We, we understand his power. We understand that he can blot our name out of the book of life. We understand that he can save us. We understand that, that, he, uh, that we are going to be judged on that final day. And there is no greater motivator than that, than to, to fear what judgment will be for us. So we need to work our, out our own salvation. Work because we have been saved. Verses 13 and 14 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing. And the question is, how does God work in us? And why is it important to do all things without complaining? So, God works, God works uh, from some examples in the Bible he, works, he worked by distributing spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. He worked in Peter and Paul in Galatians 2 and verse 8. He worked by raising Jesus from the dead. And he will also work in us when uh, 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 transforming our bodies when this life is over in Philippians 3 and 21. I don't know all there is how God works in it. I, I don't know. I don't think any of us are going to ever know the entirety of how God works in us. But we know he does because we can read it. Uh, now, that same power that worked in the Bible works now in us. I don't know how, but it does because Paul said it. It's the same power that will save us. It's the same power that will wash our sins clean. The one that hears our prayers. ones that gives us our needs, our comforts, that comforts us and will eventually judge us. There's all manners of how God works in us, how he indwells in us, and I do not have the uh, uh, knowledge and wherewithal to get all that, to understand that, and to preach it, but he does work in us. If someone wants to comment on that later on, that's great.
without complaining and arguing. You know, this follows the same line in which Paul was teaching the congregation at Philippi with unity in verse 2 through 4. You know, he called them to be unified. Um, This teaches us as a congregation that we need to get along, that we need to have a Christian attitude to be humble, considerate, serving, and obedient to death. So that brings us to our next verse, or last verse, which is verse 15. And it says there, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked, crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So what is meant by the phrase crooked and perverse generation? This goes all the way back to the Old Testament in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 32, verse 5. And it says there, they have corrupted themselves. They are not his children because of their blemish, a perverse and crooked generation. That was Moses speaking about the Israelites. So God has a path to our salvation, and it is referred to in the New Testament as a straight and narrow path. So the passage that this is referring to is those who do not walk a straight and narrow path, but pervert it or distort it in meaning and change the path to make it crooked. That's what's meant by a crooked and perverse generation. Man is the only one who can pervert God's word. God doesn't pervert it. Jesus doesn't pervert it. The, The apostles didn't pervert it. But us as man, thinking that we know better than God can mess things up real quick if we're not careful. So a conclusion, just to quickly go over kind of what we've studied so far. Um, Number one, Jesus became a humble servant. And because of that, God highly exalted Jesus and gave him authority over all. We are to continually work because we have been saved. We need to revere God and Jesus. We need to not argue with each other or complain about each other about each other within the congregation and we do not want to pervert God's word. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.